Now, I wonder if you've ever been at a graduation. If you've ever been at a graduation, yeah, when they throw the hats up in the air, I wonder if you've ever been at a graduation. Has anyone been at a graduation? Some of you? Yeah, yeah, some of you, that's good. Most of the, if you've been, if you graduated yourself, you probably have been at a graduation. Um, it's, it's sort of the weird thing, isn't it? Because you don't normally walk on a stage. There's not many places where you walk on a stage. And you see people sort of go up in their graduation and they walk up the stairs and they start walking funny. I don't know if you noticed that. Have you noticed that? I don't know if you've seen that. But they start sort of walking funny as if they think they're going to fall up the stairs or fall across. The one moment they've been walking for the whole of their life except bar the first year of their life. And that one moment they think, I'm graduating, I'm going to fall on the stage. Hardly ever happens, but when it does, it's really good, isn't it? It's funny. Um, <laughs> um, so this walk becomes super focused and all that sort of thing. You're not concentrating on anything else but walking. But the names are read out, and in the end, you, you throw your hat up, and then you chase your hat because you've got to get your bond back, and, and you think, all is well with life. I've done that. I've finished what I needed to do. Now I move on with life. What happens next? You think, the world is ahead of me. And you think back, what do I do next? And the dean of the college has given you a speech, an encouragement. And most universities are the same in their encouragement, maybe not the Bible colleges, but it sort of goes a little bit like this. You've come today, not to the end, but you've come to the beginning. The beginning of a new life, a life that you can make of, what, of whatever you want. Follow your heart, chase your dreams. You do you, no matter what anyone else says, you be true to yourself. I wonder if you've heard that message before. We, have, we hear it a lot in our society. A lot of our society hears that. We're told that the most important person in the world is you. You can be who you want to be. Our heroes in movies are often the ones who, under adversity, overcome their own things, their own adversities. Songs are written to inspire us to remain true to ourselves. This week I came across this expression. I wonder if you heard it. Uh, it's called expressive individualism. I'd not heard of it before, but it's a term that's been coined for this very thing, this, this me sort of sense. And a good definition I found of expressive individualism, I found on the Gospel Coalition's blog. It says this, that the term expressive, uh, expressive individualism suggests not only a desire to pursue one's own path, but also a yearning for the fulfilment and through the de definition and articulation of your own identity. Yearning for the fulfilment through the definition and articulation of your own identity. In essence, it means I can control my own identity and be who I want to be. I can do what I want to do, regardless of any advice or any common logic or any wisdom that may have been brought to me otherwise. We're told to look deep inside ourselves, to express ourselves to the world, and not to consider too much of the outside. And whilst we in the church don't necessarily subscribe to this indirectly, we may be victims of this expressive individualism. And I wonder if it's had an impact on the church. The church over the past 20, 30, 50, 100 years. And I don't just mean this church, I mean the church. But I don't want to leave KSBC out of this as well. 
This morning we're going to continue our series about a transformed life. And as we unpack the scriptures today, my hope is that we can see that the community of God's people were not created to be individuals walking parallel lines with other individuals who are God's people. We're actually created to be disciples who are deeply interwoven on a journey together. To, to sort of find Christ in all of his fullness and to make an impact on the world around us. Not as individuals, but as the gathered people of God. Or as we're going to explore in a little while, the Ecclesia. Let me read from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read from verse 11 and go down to verse 16. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. As each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. You might want to keep it open to those words. This week I was in a pastor's Zoom meeting where this was the text that was read over Zoom. And we were asked to discuss things that stood out to us from this passage. Well, given a couple of minutes, just reread it. What stood out to us on this passage? Now, it starts with the fivefold gifts of building up the people of God. And I'm not going to go deep into that today. Perhaps we'll do that another time. But I do want to say that those gifts that we find, the apostles, the, 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 apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the fivefold gifts, uh, these gifts are all of equal importance within the church. You can't have an evangelist without a pastor. You can't have a prophet without a teacher. We need all working together for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. So, so uh, as we were on this Zoom with other pastors, we started, some, of, some people sort of pinpointed those fivefold gifts. Some thought that the need to equip the people for the body of work was a, a really important part and stood out to them. Some commented on being mature in Christ. We had a, a really big conversation uh, about speaking the truth in love and how important that is in the kingdom of God. And it's important to build up in the body of Christ. However, as we discussed the whole, it became increasingly clear that the writer to the church in Ephesus was speaking to a whole, not to individuals. These were a people, not an aggregate of persons as such. I was watching the footy on Thursday night, and I don't know if you watched the footy, the Tigers and the Dons, and, uh, and it showed at one stage that the, the light towers, the MCG light towers are pretty amazing structures really, aren't they? They're made up of 140 2,000 watt globes, 140, that's one of them, 
is 140,000 watt globes. Now, uh, that's if, if you've got uh, like a, your house globe, it's what, 6.6 .6 watts or something like that. Uh, it's not going to do much in one of these towers, is it? <laughs> they have 140 globes in each tower. That is 2,000 watts. It's a huge brightness of globe. So six towers at 140, that's 840 2,000 watt globes illuminating the MCG on a cold, dark Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. So can you just imagine just one of those globes being on? One of those 840 globes. It's not going to have enough power to light up Dusty as he gives the don't argue uh, to someone or it's, it'll give the umpires a bit more of an excuse as to why they didn't give Jack... Ginevan all his free kicks last week. If you're watching the Collingwood game and you get his head ripped off five times, we can discuss that later if anyone wants to. Um, <laughs> on its own, one globe is not going to give enough light to illuminate the MCG. However, when they're all working together, the whole ground is lit up as if it's daytime. It needs all the globes working together the body of globes to light the MCG, not, not an aggregate of globes that uh, go on when it seems right for them to go on. And so as we look through these verses in Ephesians 4, we start to notice that there's no individualistic language flowing through any of Ephesians 4. It's all about the whole body of people working together to be built up together in Christ. So let's look at that language through the passage. Verse 12, the body of Christ may be built up. We're a small part of the whole, aren't we? Be assured that you are a part of the whole, but the whole body, until we meet, in verse 13, meet, um, until we meet uh, unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, we're all a part of this. We will no longer be infants. Not I, not you, but we. We, in verse 15, will grow up to become a mature body. We. Nothing in these passages talk of the individual. Rather, it talks of the whole body of believers. Together, who we are to be growing up and to be built up in Christ. To, together, we're to grow towards maturity. Together, we're to build one another up. And we don't stop until maybe some of us are mature and unified. No, it doesn't say that. We don't stop until all are built up. All are built up. All are unified in one body. So if we're going to be all unified in one body, it means we have to be all in, doesn't it? If we go back further, as Jesus starts to teach his disciples on the mountain, he shares with them that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine that you may see your good works. Now, our word you and your has a problem because it could be your piece of cheese or your piece of cheese. I don't know why I use cheese. I like cheese. Jesus isn't talking individually. Each of you in this statement, each you that we find in these statements is coming from the second person. So more like yous, all yous. I had a footy coach as a kid. I might have shared this story at some stage. But I had a footy coach as a kid who, who always used to say, Yous guys, yous guys played a great game. Yous guys need to go in harder. Hey, you got yous guys, what do yous think yous are doing? 
Go, you use, go run five laps. It was like we were used cars or something. <laughs> he never said you. He always said use because he wasn't addressing one person. He was addressing the whole. It was he's talking to the whole group of us. And it's the same with Jesus here. Use guys are the light of the world. Guys being non-gender. Use <laughs> all are the light of the world. Use all need to let your light shine. That you may all see use use good works. <laughs> I don't even know how to do that one. <laughs> Maybe use guys good works. <laughs> We're not living out an individualized gospel here. We're called to work together as a community of believers as the church. See, the word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ecclesia, and I mentioned it earlier, and the term doesn't refer to a building as such. So we wouldn't say this is the ecclesia. There were no buildings for the early church to claim as their own. Acts 5.42 tells us that day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. See, the church, they met together daily, but it wasn't in a nice building. It was wherever they could. The synagogue, the temple courts, the houses. And the purpose of meeting was to teach and proclaim good news. To help others know the good news. The New Testament teaches about the church as a people, a group of people, not places. And the word ecclesia, which actually means the called out ones or the gathered assembly. It never refers to a building or a place when you see the word church. It's the gathering of people. And the people were committed to that gathering. They were the ecclesia. They were committed to one another. And the early ecclesia, the early ecclesia was so committed to, to one another that amazing things happened through them. Acts 2, 44 to 47 says, All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone they had in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of a couple of people, all people. There was such a belief as a body of people that possessions were no longer individualized. It's not just my hammer. Hey, everyone can have this hammer. You need a hammer, just come and use the hammer. Homes became places of welcome and worship. Hey, come into my house. Let's break bread together. Let's worship. Meeting was a daily practice. It wasn't, hey, we've got to get down to church. Uh, it's an hour coming up. We'd better get there. The ecclesia was so in awe of the presence of God that they couldn't do anything but get together and worship. And when they did this, as a gathered community, the rest of verse 47 says this is what happened. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. As the ecclesia gathered, as they came together, there was such awe, such power in their gathering that others said, I need to know what's going on. I need to be a part of it. People were drawn to the unity of the body of believers living out the mission of Christ in the world. When I was at Newport, we used to do Easter as churches together. 
On Easter Sunday, we would first of all gather at the, the foreshore uh, area, just overlooking the city. It was a beautiful spot. And uh, at five o'clock in the morning, we'd get a fire pit out and we'd have a, a sunrise dawn service. And it was incredible. And there were churches, there was about 10 or 15 churches that were gathered together just on the, on the beach. The fishermen didn't like us because uh, we kicked them out for a bit. They didn't want to stick around for our service. But, um, but it was amazing. And then we'd go into Altona. And we would get all the churches, we'd set up in the park a big uh, sort of stage and it was just an amazing way of the churches coming together to celebrate this most important part of the year. The people saw what was going on because it was just in the open park and people came past and they asked the question, what church is this? And no one said, oh, this is Newport Baptist Church or this is that church. It says, we are just the church. The body of believers coming together and it spoke volumes to anyone who was walking past. The church, the ecclesia, working out mission together. There wasn't a few that would go out and do the mission work. Some others to do admin and some others to count the finance. It was a joint rolling of worship that played itself out in mission. It was amazing. So let's bring things a little bit together now. This transformed life in Christ that we've been talking about for the past month or so has ultimately been a call to come back to some of the biblical practices of the past and redefine them for our culture today. And it's largely been, largely been individualized, really. You can discern on your own. You can put gaps into space so you can have space with God. You can embrace diversity on your own. We can do that as a church, of course, but we've been sort of looking at it as an individualized space. So, and that's a you, not a use. <laughs> so you can see, even our language at church, we, I suppose, embrace unwittingly the, the whole idea of expressive individualism just by our language, just by what we say. So, so if we're to be the ecclesia then, if the gathering of God's people, building one another up, living out God's mission on earth together, how does this... this expressive individualism that we see coming through our world and even coming through ourselves present a challenge for our church. Now, I want to explore this through two scenarios. Me versus God and me versus the ecclesia, the church. Me versus God. One of the biggest problems of expressive individualism is that it is contrary to what God teaches about our identity. You see, the Bible teaches us that we are created in the image and likeness of God. Each one of us, every one of us is created in the image and the likeness of God. It says this in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're all made in the image of God. We are God's image bearers. Therefore, our lives should reflect that we are God's image bearers. Our message must be God-focused, God-central. You know, in a world where uh, kings and queens are, uh, are immortalized with statues, it happens even now, carved images of themselves out of stone or precious metals. Our true king, the Lord, created not a carved image of himself. Didn't say that this is the worthy image of myself. Rather, he, he created something different. He created you. He created me 
to be his image bearer on earth. How humbling is that? No carved stone could make the likeness of God, yet you do. How humbling. But with this humbling thought comes a greater truth about how we should live. As king's representatives on as the king's representative on earth, made in God's likeness, we are to bring glory to the king in what we do, what we say, how we act, how we conduct ourselves in the world. We are to fulfill God's desire for our lives rather than this individualized notion of fulfilling our own self-desires, our own self-driven wantings. It's the difference of looking inward and looking upwards. Inward says that I am in control. I will chart my course. Upward says that I'm releasing control. I'm releasing myself over to God. It fights against that expressive individualism that, that, that wants to scream out of us. See, when we forego our upward glance, it might not mean that we stop coming to church or being part of the body, the ecclesia. But we might start coming to church with the wrong motives. We might start to see church as a place where I can express myself in my own ways, a place where I can seek to fill my own tank and when it doesn't happen in the way that I want it because the song that I wanted played or the preaching didn't hit the mark, I can head off to find another space. Me starts to take place instead of God on the throne. God may still be thereabouts. God may be in the sphere somewhere. But Mark Sayers from Red Church, just down the road here, he says, God gets relegated to the role of servant and massager of the personal will. If this is the case, then being interweaved into the ecclesia for the building up the body is going to be really difficult. Because the mission of God doesn't have space for me being in front. It solely relies on me playing my part in the advancement of the kingdom with God in the centre. So what about me versus the ecclesia or me versus the church? The second challenge to the church with expressive individualism is that being a part of the ecclesia will not fit into a personal framework of looking inward on yourself. Because in the beginning, God created humanity to be part of community, to be in community, to live within the family. No man or woman is to live as an island. Even those monastic monks whose lifestyles were devoted to simplicity and to isolation did that within a group of people together. They lived it out in communities. They were not alone in their endeavours to find and experience God. As members of the Ecclesia, therefore, we have an interwined responsibility to one another. Therefore, the choices that we make, the things that we do or the words we speak are all related to the larger community of people who we are connected to, the Ecclesia. 
We must be open to the voice of others in this space. We must be willing to hear the tough messages that take our eyes away from self and put our eyes back to God. It means that when we're challenged about how much we drink, the language we use, what we watch on our computers, how we act differently when we're outside of church rather than when we're inside of church, how we work in our local neighbourhood. When we're, when we're challenged on those things of our lives that maybe aren't godly, if we keep our eyes focused, focused, knowing that we're part of the whole body to be built up, we're not going to be upset by that. We're going to be challenged to put our eyes on God. We're not going to get defensive about it. Rather, we accept that in the Ecclesia, we speak the truth in love, that we all may grow into maturity in the body of Christ. It means that when we speak about a joint mission to our local schools and we put the challenge out to to dig deep and, and give us an hour of your time, or to give that little bit more in the, in the offering to the mission of the schools that we can run. If it doesn't fit in the framework of me, then you might go, oh, I can't do that, Pete. But if you keep your eyes on God and see the bigger mission of the body together, maybe you'll go, you know what, I might not be able to give or I might not be able to have the time, but I can pray and that's what I'll do. It means that when we chat about helping to revitalize a church down the road that's calling on us to help them, that we don't consider the cost of our own temple here. Rather, we consider the larger mission of God and how the people of God, the gathering together, can make a difference within our wider community. Being the ecclesia means that we no longer take the me approach to church. Rather, we take the entwined body approach. The approach that tells the Ephesian church that we will all come to maturity in Christ. We'll all do that together. This might be something that you find uncomfortable. It might mean being challenged by your lifestyle that's sort of revolved about around you. It might mean being challenged by the scriptures or the voices of others in the ecclesia and saying, my eyes have been focused on self and I need to keep them in the upward posture. If church only becomes what I can get out of it, how I fulfill myself through coming to worship, we lose the purpose of God's intended, or lose God's intended purpose for church, which is the gathered group of people living out the mission of God together. It also means that that if I'm looking at self and someone calls me out, and says, hey Pete, think about this. Your actions aren't worthy of the, the calling that you've got. And I don't like that. Then what I'll do is I'll leave. And I'll go find another space. That's the problem when we've got lots of churches around. I'll go and find another space that maybe fits my lifestyle. I quite often feel I'm preaching the converted when I've got a great bunch of people in the room and fantastic people online. But... But this church is a church of really committed people. I know that. And we're committed to the mission of God here. It's a place where you're welcomed as you are and you're encouraged to be a part of it. 
You serve, you give, you share as a community together. And on a Sunday, you come, you gather. On a, during a week, many of us are part of small groups or study groups or ministries midweek. However, as we read Ephesians 4, as we consider the early church, the gathering was vital. The gathering was vital. Not everyone would have liked everything that would have happened, but the gathering was vital. They didn't have a global pandemic to sort of figure out how they can come back to church after a global pandemic. But they had mass persecution. (laughs) Through the early years, they really struggled. The value that they camped on was this ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. Now, our streaming service is fantastic, and I welcome everyone who's online today. The guys do such a great job. It's so valuable to so many people. I want to put a shout-out to Emmy today, who messaged me last week. Emmy's in Japan. Some of you might remember her. She got baptised here before she went back to Japan. She was watching online last week, and she watches online. So, Emmy, if you're watching, hey, it's great to have you with us. She's engaging with Jesus all the way over in Japan. How awesome is that? That's worth having the live stream for, yeah? I want to shout out to Leah Marilyn up in Queensland. They may be in another church this morning, but they always come back and watch. So, Leah Marilyn, it's great to have you. If you see their Facebook posts, it's all sunny up there, so... (laughs) Have a think about the people in Warrigal, Leah Marilyn. (laughs) But people who go on holidays... They're able to connect into the church, the body of believers here. We stream into Glengolan. I think we're still streaming into Glengolan, are we, Jeanette? Jeanette? Yeah, we stream into Glengolan. So Glengolan, hi, it's great to have you with us. It really is. How great is technology? For everyone else online, we love having you online. But what churches, and not just us, but what churches in Melbourne, especially probably in Victoria, are finding is that regular gathering, physical gathering attendance is down. It's definitely decreased since covid The gathering in person, especially, has declined. We might still have the same amount of people in and around KSBC or call KSBC home. In fact, I reckon that we've probably got more people here than we had, say, three years ago. However, we've become more sporadic in the gathering together. We opt to stay home because of convenience rather than because we've sincerely got a cold or the flu or something like that. Or we're physically unable to get to church. The Ecclesia for for many has become, instead of a weekly pilgrimage, it's become a monthly pilgrimage. Rather than the excitement of meeting every day in the temple, courts and homes, we decide when we want to come to church. Now, I say this to you people who are here and many of you here every week, but if you know someone that comes once a month because they think, oh, well, that's my fill, I'm still getting some input. Or if you're online and you're thinking, you know what, today it was just a little cold outside and a bit wet, I encourage you, get back to church. Because something is special about the gathering together. The gathering here of the people. The rubbing shoulders together as you walk from here to the front door. You can't get away from people. Now, perhaps there are reasons beyond the simplicity that I've outlined here that you can't get to church. I understand that. And I don't want you to write me emails justifying why you can't get to church. I don't need to hear them as well. It's okay. But I do want to challenge you to move beyond the thought that it's just a struggle to get out of bed. Or if I come once every two weeks, that'll, that'll do me. Because the gathering, the being together, seems to be so important in the early church. 
seems to be what held them together, what knitted them together, and it seems to be what brought an excitement of being a part of this movement where Christ is the head and we are all a part of that body. Expressive individual, individualism will fight that. I can worship at my home. I can maintain my faith journey from my bed. I read my Bible every day still. It's probably better than most people. And you can. You probably can. But from my reading of Scripture, your faith journey will be so much more enriched by joining together in the gathering. So I want to encourage you, if you can, come back to church. Well, you're already at church. Come back to church. And if you know someone that isn't here, maybe just give them a call. It's up. <coughs> Excuse me. Call this afternoon and say, why don't you get back to church next week? We'd love to see you. See, being the ecclesia, it challenges the notion of expressive individualism. Because it says we're going to do this journey of faith together. We're going to gather together. We're going to grow together as disciples. We're going to challenge one another in faith. We're going to work together to fulfill the mission of God in the world. And as we go out, as we scatter, we're going to be praying for one another. Because God designed us to be a people who are committed to living out kingdom principles together. In relationship to God, in relationship with one another, and then to share those kingdom principles with the people around us. I'm excited to see this church not just come back to what it was pre-COVID, but rather to become a post-COVID community where we're meeting together in the temple courts and in homes. We're equipping people for God's service. We're finding unity and we're growing into maturity. Things already look different. We're not fully past the COVID mess of the past few years, are we? But perhaps we need to buck the trends Say, we're going to get back to being the gathered people, the ecclesia. And we're going to make a difference as a group, as a church, as one. And Catherine, you are a star. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it, Tal. So let's make a difference as a community. Let's make a difference together. Let's be the ecclesia, the people of God. Why don't we pray and I'll invite the musicians back. Our Lord and God, we thank you so much that your word doesn't speak of the individual, rather it speaks of the whole. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you call us, all of us, each of us, to maturity, to growing in faith, to helping one another in our journey of faith. And now, God, we ask that today we may bond together in ways that entwine us, that help us to grow, that challenge each other. May we get away from this idea of self and keep our eyes focused on you, that you may lead us out into the world, that we may be your light, that there may be an excitement for the gospel. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.